How are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? One of my favorite things to do is to unwrap a brand new shirt. I love to unwrap a brand new shirt. I love to pull the pins out and hear the crackle of the paper, slip it out. Sometimes it's in a little plastic bag. I'll just slip it out and just, just look at it. So I did that last night, and I'm wearing that shirt right now. And what was most interesting is that there was a tag on the shirt, and here's what the tag said. The best performing shirt in the world. The best performing shirt in the world. I should be good today. I should speak well today. I am wearing the best performing shirt in the world. But I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? How does a shirt perform? Like, what does it do? It's just cotton. It's got sleeves on it. It's got cuffs. It's got a collar. How does a shirt perform? But we're really into performance in our culture. But how are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? Speaking of performance and fulfillment, how about ODU? How about, how about that game? And here's the thing. I actually called the win before noontime yesterday. I, called, I have a text where I called the win. I called the win. I was feeling it. They got a great coach. They got a great team. Virginia Tech had to come into Norfolk, Virginia. I thought, this is going to have, this is going to be one of those moments, and ODU is going to win this game, and I, I called it. Now, if, uh, if Coach Wilder is smart, what he's going to do is he's going to have that whole team in church this morning. They're all going to go to church, and they're all going to give thanks for something. He said on the news last night, three great moments in my life. I got married, had kids. I beat Virginia Tech. That's it. Three great moments in my life. And the quarterback said, all I want to do is be who God wants me to be. How are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? I know one thing. It's not, it's not about performance. Even though we live in a performance culture, even though I'm wearing the best performing shirt in the world, it's not about performance. I was listening to a talk by Simon Sinek, and I like Simon Sinek. He was one of our Global Leadership Summit speakers this year, and I found him very intriguing and very interesting. And the talk I listened to this week is first why, then trust. First why, then trust. And so I want to thank Simon Sinek for the thoughts that I'm going to bring to you in the next few minutes when he, he talked in this presentation about the decades and the the hearts that, that come with each generation and what we bring as we try to, to find fulfillment in life. He said this, something started to happen when they came back from World War II. Trust was at an all-time high during the war years. People felt this sense of fulfillment of national purpose and it was, it was high and the whole, the whole nation was knit together. Then the 1950s came, and coming out of those war years, the 1950s were defined by responsibility. You gave everything for the company. You gave everything for the school. You gave everything for the community. You showed up. You volunteered. You leaned in. You worked hard, and we became more affluent in the 1950s. But with that affluence, 
the sense of fulfillment and trust that was at an all-time high before the 1950s didn't grow any. If anything, it started to shrink a little bit. And so people were perplexed. And they said, okay, now it's the 1960s. We tried, we tried responsibility and we leaned in hard. Now let's try irresponsibility and let's lean out of this thing. But we didn't get an increase in trust or in a sense of national purpose in the 1960s. The 1970s came along and we called it the me generation. Looking out for your own happiness did not increase trust, did not increase the sense of fulfillment. The me decade and the third great awakening just didn't happen. And one commentator said, I think it's not just this generation that's a me generation, but it's every generation that's the me generation. The 1980s came. That's, that sense of me was still in the air, but business became cool again. And then we had the 90s. The 90s brought the dot-coms. And there was more affluence, more than possibly ever before, but trust wasn't growing with it. And fulfillment wasn't growing with it. We became more jaded with each other. We became more jaded about management and business. We became more jaded and less trusting about politicians. And now we find ourselves here, right in the early stages, almost completing two decades in the 21st century. And Simon Sinek then asked this question, which I felt was brilliant. How are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? He said, technology is no help. Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, said the only thing the microprocessor ever did was to make things go faster. Technology is absolutely fantastic for the exchange of information and ideas. And it's wonderful for finding people, but it's terrible for creating human connections. You cannot form trust through the internet. How are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? Currently, five generations make up our society, each of those five generations has an active role in the marketplace. We have Generation Z, iGen, or the Centennials, everybody born after 1996. We have the Millennials, or Generation Y, born 77 to 95. Generation X, born 65 to 76. Baby Boomers, born 46 to 64. Traditionalists, the silent generation, or as Tom Brokaw called them, the greatest generation, born before 1945, all seeking fulfillment in the time in which we live. But fulfillment isn't about performance. Fulfillment is about the stability of your why. Fulfillment isn't about performance. It's about the stability of your why. So, What's your why? In chapter 3 of Colossians, I believe Paul presents us with four understandings of our why. He gives us the why of the why. He gives us the collective why. He gives us the walk of the why. And he gives us the fuel of the why. It's all about the stability of your why. Colossians 3, reading from the message. I really like the way Eugene Peterson turns these phrases. 
So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. You can hear Paul sounding a lot like a, a head football coach. If you're serious about this, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. In other words, don't just go about your day just the way you always do. You got stuff to do. You got things that have to happen. You have a schedule. You got boxes that have to be checked, check, 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 check. Don't just live your life that way. There's more important stuff going on. Look up. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And this is why I say this first layer that Paul's trying to give us about the why is the why of the why. This is the why of the why, Paul says. And there are some words to pay attention to. Serious. So if you're serious, pursue. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Look up. Don't be looking down. Don't be just going about your day and your stuff. Don't be just looking at your screen. Look up and see things from his perspective. This is the why of the why. And Paul has to write this because people are, are getting wobbly and people are going down another road and people are, are, are starting to mix things up and they're starting to mix up their life with the life of Jesus Christ. And it's the same way today, 2,000 years later. I remember a church member one time, and he said something that really amused me greatly. He said, I used to go to a church where I heard the message on Sunday. And by the time I got my car to the driveway of the church going home, I forgot the message. He goes, now I come to Spring Branch. He goes, I get all the way to Wendy's. And I'm thinking, what? What in the world are you talking about? And, and I wanted to go home and, and do serious Bible study with him. But uh, this is the why of the why. Serious. Pursue. Look up. See. Paul defines it. He says this is what it looks like to embrace the why of the why. To live the why of the, of the why. To let the why of the why overwhelm you. To let it capture you. Let it become part of every moment, every waking moment of every single day. Then he goes on to his next layer of the why. Your old life is dead. Reality check. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to specters, even though other people can't see it, other people aren't going to understand it, they don't have to. This is your new life. Your new life, your real life, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And sometimes you read a passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden the theme that starts to roll through your mind is the theme that's been written in other books, by other writers, at other moments. And this takes you directly back to John 15, where John, the disciple, he wrote about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he said, he's the vine, and we're the branches. Because Jesus wrote, I am, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. It doesn't happen without this dynamic union. It doesn't happen without something spiritually dynamic coming to life in us and through us. He is your life. 
when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. You don't have to have your name on anything. You don't have to get a, a prize, an award. You don't have to be recognized. Just be humble. Be thankful that you're a part of this, this thing called the church. And this is what I call, this is our collective why. This is our collective why. This is, we're all in the why together. We're all here to live that why. Christ is wanting to live his why of life and his why of, of what he understands that's above and beyond anything we can imagine. He's trying to live that in us and through us. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And this is how we do this together. Let me take you to another quick passage. Paul wrote to an early church in Greece. And he who died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That last verse, verse 20, is our collective why. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So now we have the why of the why, and now we have the collective why where God uses us to show others what this life looks like and how this life is different. And we live in a day and age when talk has become cheap and when words just fill the air and when there's so much noise that we can't even understand anymore. Sometimes what, where this noise is coming from or where it's even going. And in the middle of that, we are the ambassadors of Christ to show up and take care of things, to show up and get things done. As Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, that he prepared these things for us to do beforehand. In Christ Jesus, he prepared good works for us to do. And so we do those things and we become ambassadors of God in the world. And people say, that's something different. Why do you do that? That's something different. Why do you sacrifice that? Why do you give that? And we say, well, this is our collective. Why? Because he is our life together. There is this why of the why. There is the collective why, and we're ambassadors as though God was, was reaching out to the world through us. Now going back to verses 5 through 8 in Colossians chapter 3, and that means, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. So first he says, your old life is dead, so that's that's a fact. We have to move on from that. But he says every single day you're going to have to do the work of killing off everything connected with that way of death. Then he starts to name things and things that they knew about. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whatever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. 
That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. He says, okay, this is the life that's shaped by things and feelings, and this other life is shaped by God because Christ is living in you. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. This drives God over the edge when he's offered us everything. He's offered us everything through Jesus, and he looks down and he sees us running this way and running that way and, and grabbing for this and grabbing for that and feeling insecure and feeling like, well, if I don't get it for myself, I'm never going to get it. And he says, I have already given you everything. Trust me for everything that you need. He says, it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. There was a time when you just ran hither and yon and did whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do it. But you know better now because of Christ. You know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. And then he gives them a checklist. This is a checklist that you don't want to check anything off from, but he gives them this checklist to look at. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. This is the walk of the why. This is the walk of the why. And if there was ever a time in history when we needed to see the walk of the why, we need it now. We need it at all levels of society. We need it at all levels of our culture. And this is the responsibility that Paul is reminding us of. This is the walk of the why. This young pastor came to a new church in a new town. He had a big vision. He wanted to do something that just raised people's sights for, for walking the why and raised people's sights for being the collective why. And he wanted them to understand the why of the why. And he was really a great visionary. And so after he was there for a little while, he said, what I'd like us to do as a church is I'd like us to build a family life center. And this family life center is going to be a place we can offer to the community to use for events, invite people in. We can use it for, for student ministry. We can use it for fellowship dinner events. We can use it in, in innumerable ways. It's going to be a defining, wonderful part of our facility. And I want us all to do this together. And my vision is that we get this done soon. And it's going to take a million dollars to get this done. I'm going to ask you, for that, and he was talking about it and talking to people in small groups about it, talking about it on Sunday. Now, in this, in this small town, and as members of this church, there were two brothers. And these two brothers had, uh, you know, their name on everything all over town, and, and they, were, they were not nice. They were, they were mean to people. They were mean-spirited. They cheated people in business deals. They lied. They took advantage of people. They manipulated people. They sometimes abused people with foul language. They had been born into this church. They were members of this church since the time they were children in Sunday school. And now, one of these brothers dies. He dies suddenly. The pastor hears a knock upon his study door. In comes the other brother. He sits down. 
He looks up at the pastor. He says, Pastor, I'd like my brother's funeral to be done in this church. And you know and I know that he was a rascal of a man. And that's, that's using polite language. You know and I know he cheated everybody. You know and I know he abused people, manipulated people. You know and I know that like he used foul language. Like every time he went anywhere, he didn't care about who was standing nearby. But what I'd like to do is this. He reached in his jacket pocket and pulled out a check. He said, here's a check to build your family life center. It's, it's for a million dollars. And uh, I want you to build that center. But at the funeral, I'd like you to do this for me. Please tell everybody in the church that my brother was a saint. The pastor looked down at the check and looked up at the man, nodded his head, took the check, put it in his top desk drawer, made sure that by the end of the afternoon it was deposited in the bank. A few days later, they had the memorial service. Somebody sang Amazing Grace. The congregation sang Great is Thy Faithfulness. And the pastor walked up to the pulpit to give the eulogy. He said, we all know Bob. We all know that, that Bob was a cheat. We all know that Bob manipulated, he manipulated many of you who are here today. He lied. He used foul language all the time. You couldn't trust Bob. And you knew that somebody was going to get hurt if Bob was around. But I'm here today to say to you very clearly, very clearly, that compared to his brother, Bob was a saint. <laughs> the walk of the why is something that God calls us to. It's what defines us, and as it defines us, he refines us. The collective why is we get to do this together as ambassadors for Christ. The why of the why is serious pursuit, looking up and seeing the God who gave his life for us and saying, how can I give my life back to you? As we live in a world where we're looking for fulfillment, but fulfillment isn't about performance. Fulfillment is about the stability of your why. So chosen by God, for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. It's a beautiful wardrobe. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And that's hard. That's hard to forgive as quickly and completely as God forgave us. But that's what Christ is saying to put on. Put on that kind of clothing, the wardrobe that God picked out for you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of, this is going, none of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, his message, have the run of the house 
Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And you want to know what this is? This is the fuel of the why. The fuel of the why. It's what, it's what embraces us as we embrace him. It's what overwhelms us as we are in awe of who Jesus Christ is and in awe of what he did for us. It's the fuel of the why. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. Never be without it. Brene Brown defines this in her rules for community. I kind of look at these as rules for the why. She says, be here, be seen. Be here, be loved. Be here, be respected. Be here, belong. Be here, be told when you're right. Be here, be told when you're wrong. Be here, be encouraged to be better. This is all the fuel of the why. Lou Holtz was once the head football coach at the College of William and Mary from 1969 to 1971. He coached the New York Jets in 1976. He was at the University of Notre Dame from 86 to 96. Holtz's 1988 Notre Dame team went 12-0 with a victory in the Fiesta Bowl and was a consensus national champion. In those 10 years and in all the years that he coached football, he knows about performance. He knows about performance. I once heard Lou Holtz speak in Norfolk, and it was, it was just one of the most wonderful speeches I ever heard from a, a football coach. It just, he just kind of nailed it right down the middle. And in this message that I listened to the other day, he was receiving a, an honorary doctorate from a university in West Virginia, and he started out saying, I want to give you my five assumptions. I'm going to assume you want to be successful professionally. I'm going to assume you want to have a good personal life. I'm going to assume that you want to feel needed. I'm going to assume that you want to feel secure. I'm going to assume that you want to go to heaven. And then he said, you need four things in your life if you're going to meet these assumptions. Everybody needs something to do. Everybody needs someone to love. Everybody needs someone to believe in. Everybody needs something to hope for. He talked about his statue at Notre Dame. And it's a great statue because it's not there just for him. It's there showing him with his life's work with two young men who stand right beside him and he's trying to impart his wisdom to them. He's giving his life away. It's a picture of giving his life away. And at the bottom of the inscription on the front of that statue, there are three words, trust, love, and commitment. And those words define him. But let's listen to a short piece of his speech, accepting his honorary doctorate, where he tells you his why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. 
I was on a golf course. I said, yeah, I married my best friend. The guy said, your wife's not your best friend. I said, yes, she He said, your dog is. I said, no, you're wrong. He said, you're wrong. He said, try this then. Lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of the car. Come back in two hours and see which one's happy to see you. So, people say, would you like to be 21 again? I wish I knew those three rules when I was 21. I've used them for the last 40 years. There's a statue of me at Notre Dame. I guess they need a place for the pigeons to land, but <laughs> if you go look at it, just don't look, look at three words on the pedestal. Trust, commitment, love. Because those are the three rules I had for my children, my team. My greatest accomplishment is not coaching, not TV, not speaking. The greatest accomplishment is my family. And I'm very proud of it. You can't take your money to heaven, but I'll tell you something. You can sure take your children to heaven with you. I leave you with this very last thought. Very last thought. Want to be happy for an hour? Eat a steak. Want to be happy for a day? Play golf. Want to be happy for a week? Go on a cruise. Now, to me, going on a cruise like being in jail, except you have a chance to drown, but that's what you want to be happy for a month? Play golf. Want to be happy for a month? Buy a new car. Want to be happy for a year? Win the lottery. Want to be happy for a lifetime? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. How are we going to find a sense of fulfillment? In your time, in your generation, how are you going to find a sense of fulfillment? In Colossians 3, Paul gives us the why of the why of fulfillment. In Colossians 3, Paul gives us our collective why of fulfillment. In Colossians 3, Paul gives us the walk of the why of fulfillment. In Colossians 3, Paul gives us the fuel of the why of fulfillment. Because fulfillment isn't about performance. Fulfillment is about the stability of your why. And for Paul, the stability of his why was Jesus Christ. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Jesus is Paul's holy roar. Jesus must be our holy roar too. Dear Heavenly Father, as we find our why in Jesus, as we live our why in Jesus, as we become the collective why, as we reach out for the, the fuel of the why. Father, just fill us with a sense of awe and humility for who you are and what you have called us into. Father, allow us to be a light in the world. Allow us to be the hope of the world. Allow us to bring compassion Allow us to bring a sense of care that, that goes beyond what is rational, that goes into what is holy and what is 
coming from your throne of grace. Oh, Father, we give you our lives now. Take us into the why of everything. Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.